the final installment of All In. It's been really, really good. You know, the opening statement for the All In series is this. We live in a world that lives by the statement, I want to keep my options open. Now, options are a great thing. I like a lot of options, and I like the flexibility to have options, but there's some things where there is no negotiating. You know the old saying, burn the boats, burn the ship. Guys, we're not going back. We're right here, and we're planting our feet, and we're going to do some work, and God wants us all in. God wants us fully committed to certain things like marriage, like the authenticity of the Bible, like helping people know God, like our relationship with God. And that's what All In is really all about. We've been using a key verse out of the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse one. It says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life. I love that because we're just ordinary people, right? We all, we all, we all put our pants on one leg at a time, at least most of us and we all have to eat. We're just ordinary people, but I like what the scripture says. It says, just, just take that life as an offering to God. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God You'll be changed from the inside out. And I love that. When we fix our attention on God, we're going to be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what God wants from you. And and listen to this. Quickly respond to it. You know, life is such a journey and an adventure. when When you take your attention and put it on God, and just by refocusing our attention on God, really versus ourselves, We're changed from the inside out, and then we can respond to God quickly, and it's a journey of faith, and it's exciting. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. There's no one like God. There's not a man, there's not a woman, there's not a teacher, there's no one like God who can bring the ultimate best out of you except God himself. Thank God. My, my spouse has been trying for many years. <laughs> she, she's been whittling on me. I'm a little bit better, honey, so uh, thank God for my wife. But God ultimately brings the best out of us. You know, in week one, we talked about all in with our next steps, and we all have next steps to take. Week number two, We talked about all in with God. And last week, Pastor Jordan talked about all in with generosity. And it was a fabulous message. But this week, I want to talk to you about all in with leadership. But let's pray. Father, we're grateful, God, that you've chosen us, that you've put us in an environment like this, God, where you can work in our lives, God. We just open up our hearts right now that, God, you would use us and that, God, ultimately, you would activate us for your purposes in this thing called leadership in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. So when we think about a leader, when we think about the word leader, a lot of us might lean in and say, yes, leadership. That's what I've been waiting for. Others might shy back and say, you know what? I'm not interested in anything to do with leadership. You know, because a lot of times we fabricate or stereotype really what a leader is. We do it on accident. We put people and their roles into silos and we put them into categories. And we have expectations of people and roles that are often based on our personal views 
rather than who the person might be and or what the role is actually designed for. And we do that. We're, we're just people and we start categorizing. So when you think of the word leader, some of those silos or those categories are like titles and positions. Man, that's what leadership is about. It's about the title. It's about the position. How about this? Leadership is about top of the food chain. That's what, that's what leadership is. Our, our leadership is all about making that money, that dough. Now, I got some of your attention right there. Some of you said, now, I'm interested in leadership now. Uh, others think of prestige and privilege when it comes to leadership. Or how about this? The top of the pyramid, the all-seeing eye. That's what, that's what leadership is all about, the all-seeing eye. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus, he redefined what leadership is. Jesus is our hero. He actually redefined it. He reinvented leadership. Now, Jesus was a great leader. We all know that. And he was leading a group of guys, and we know him as the disciples. And uh, essentially, all the word disciple means is a student. And so his students were following him around, and he was teaching them a lot of things. And they wanted to be on the top of the food chain. They, 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 they had in their mind what leadership really is. And Jesus caught on to that. And we're going to pick up the story right here in the book of Mark, chapter 9, verse 33. After they arrived, the disciples at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, what were you discussing out on the road? But they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. How many of you have been put into a corner and have been asked a great question that held a lot of gravity and you just froze up? Like, I'm not going to say anything right now. I'm not, I'm, uh, nope, I'm not going to say nothing. That's kind of what was happening with Jesus. He was like, oh man, he, he, I think he overheard what we were talking about. And so <laughs> this is Jesus. He's the author of the greatest questions, by the way. And, and he sat down, verse 35. He said, look, guys, you're not going to answer my question. I'll tell you what, come on around me real quick, and I'm going I'm to teach you a lesson. I'm going to reinvent some things. And he sat down, and he called the 12 disciples over to him and said this. Whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. I love Jesus. He said, I'm going to reinvent for you what leadership is really all about because you guys have categorized what leadership is. I heard you arguing about it. Matter of fact, I can hear all things, right? I heard you arguing about it. I could see what was going on in your heart. He said, let, let me go ahead and take a moment real quick and redefine it for you. And I think that's what God wants to do with us today. You know, Ralph Waldo Emerson said, a great man is always willing to be little. He did. A great man is always willing to be little. And I say this, that Jesus didn't destroy the desire to be great. He reinvented what great is. That's what Jesus did. I love it because the disciples had a desire. They, they had an ambition and, and a passion to do something great for Jesus. I mean, they had a competitive nature about them. And God didn't necessarily want to destroy that. He, he didn't want to destroy that drive. He didn't want to destroy. Look, it's really good to want to do great things for God. It's really good to want to do great things for your community, great things for your staff, great things for your business, great things for your family. 
And what I love about Jesus is he didn't want to uh, basically shut down that energy. He wanted to redirect it. He didn't want to destroy the desire. He wanted to reinvent how that desire would work. And that's what Jesus did when he started talking and teaching his students. He talks about this in Luke chapter 22, verse 25. Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lorded over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important? The one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here, for I am among you as one who serves. See, God was forging a new kind of leader, a servant leader. It's a paradigm shift in the mind of the disciples for what they've seen exercised in the religious sect that they were a part of. It's a different mindset than what they've seen publicly displayed through the political powerhouses of their time. Jesus said, I'm gonna show you something a little bit different. I'm gonna show you what servant leadership is all about. See, servant leadership is adding values to others. That's the essence of servant leadership, adding value. See, Jesus, who was the Messiah, the king, he could have very well sat at the table and say, you guys serve me, but instead he said, I'm gonna serve you. And he was showing them what it was all about. You know, as a small group leader here at Northwood Church, we have a, the ability to serve people well. As a matter of fact, you heard from our Next Steps director, Tom, about becoming a part of the small group culture here and, and really taking on a servant leadership role here at Northwood Church and serving people. You're gonna have a chance to do that. But servant leadership is something that has to happen in the church. As a matter of fact, the church should be a flat organization right? A flat organization. Now we have an org chart, obviously for order's sake, but God's design is to create a flat organization. And a flat organization is basically where all of our gifts, all of our talents, all of our personality types, all of those things work together and we make one great team. There, there, there's no I in team, right? So we're one great team. We're a flat organization and, and our gifts all work together for a common goal. And that common goal is to help people know God. That's our vision here is that we would be able to help people know God. And unity is the key to success in a flat organization. And the way we possess unity is we all embrace servant leadership. That I'm not greater than anybody else. I'm just here to serve somebody. I'm just here to be a resource to somebody. I'm just here to make somebody else great. I'm here to help somebody else excel. And when we all take that mindset, the church chains, changes and our posture changes and we're able to be more effective when that happens. And so when we do this, we have to say this. I believe every person is equal in God's eyes. Now that's a different mindset. Every person is equal in God's eyes and we have to own our equality, meaning we have to own that there's special gifts on the inside of you that I don't have. There's things that you can do that I can't do. And, but when we work together, we can do something great, but we have to own it as people. We have to own it, we have to embrace it because leadership is ownership. 
Leadership is ownership. And when we realize we don't merely attend church, but that we are the church, we are able to assume ownership. That we are the church. So the church we know of today is not about brick and mortar, right? It's not about sheetrock and mud. It's not about carpet and lights and screens. It's about us. We're a living organism, right? We make up the church. We are the church. And when we know that we're the church, we can own it and make a difference. And that's what we got to do. We've got to own it and make a difference. I'm here to tell you again that you have a gift. You have a skill set. You have a passion as an individual. And God wants all of that. Remember we said in the beginning that if we would take our ordinary life and just lay it before God, God could do something extraordinary with it. But you have to discover what your passion is. You have to discover what your gift is as an individual. And then you have to develop it. You've got to discover it, then you've got to develop it. And when you're developing it, you're going to discover more things. And, and that's all about owning leadership and developing your leadership. You have to develop your leadership. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, it says, God has given each of you a gift from his variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to what? Serve one another. So, so this thing called serve and leadership, they, they tie in perfectly along with your gifts. God uses it as a package deal. You know, my influence is not determined by my level of success, but my ability to help you succeed. Think about that. My influence is not, my level of success is not a gauge for my influence. Me helping you succeed is. What a, what a way to look at it. If we would walk around with our spouse, with our kids, with our fellow uh, teammates, with our, with our church body, with our neighbors and our community, with the school teachers, and if we would walk around with the mindset, how can I make you great? How can I make you a better success? I'm telling you right now, you're gonna get influence. And that influence can be used to glorify God in the kingdom of God. John Maxwell said it this way, leadership is influence, nothing more, and nothing else, nothing, nothing less. It's just influence. It's a dimension of influence. That's all leadership is. But influence is earned, not given. It really is. Influence is earned, not given. Titles and positions are given, but influence is earned. And, uh, you know, we have to work at it. We have to steward it. You know, it's not the position that makes the leader. It's the leader that makes the position, Right? It's the leader that makes the position. And thinking about influence, I think about influence like currency. And with our currency, with, with our money, we want to invest it wisely. And so we have to uh, invest and steward our influence with precision. That's right. We've got to use a little bit of strategy in our life. We've got to measure our, our output so that we can get the greatest return from it. And God will help us in that. You know, Harry Overstreet said this, that the very essence of all power to influence lies in getting the other person to participate. Now, I know a lot of you are saying, thank God, I, I, I need this message because I can't get my teenager to clean their room. <laughs> and all you parents said, yeah, this isn't gonna work. <laughs> but it is, it's influence. And so, you know, thinking about leadership, thinking about influence, thinking about this thing called servant leader, what stands in the way for people to desire leadership? 
What is it? What is the barriers that stand in our way to desire this thing called leadership? And uh, our example is going to be Moses. Moses, we know, is a great leader in the Old Testament. Moses is kind of like us, right? We might not have long hair and a beard. Some of you do, and not a wooden staff. And, you know, but we're like Moses, and I'm going to show you. We're, we're just like Moses because God was calling Moses to servant leadership, and uh, there were several barriers that Moses had to go through in order to embrace it. And we pick up the story about Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verse 10. He said, now go for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. Now, Pharaoh in the, in the Old Testament really is a type and a shadow of the devil. I mean, he was, he was vicious and he had God's people in bondage and slavery. And uh, basically, Moses' assignment was go to the devil. His name's Pharaoh. Now, I'm sure you would probably have some excuses that you're about to hear with Moses. What an assignment. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God and said, who am I? to appear before Pharaoh, who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Man, Moses had an identity crisis going on. He was like, who am I? He was insecure in himself. He, he felt inadequate and he didn't know what to do. And all too often our identity is shaped by what others say and think about us versus what God says that we are. And this was Moses. He was, he was definitely in an identity crisis. God was calling him to do something. He's like, hold up a second. Who am I? You know who I am, God. I killed the Egyptian back in uh, uh, Egypt, and now I'm over here working. You don't, who, you, who am I? God, you surely didn't pick me. There's no way. And that's what we do a lot of times with God. You're like, we're like, God, you surely didn't call me to be a small group leader. God, you surely didn't call me to, to, to help this neighbor out. God, you surely didn't. No, it's not me. You called the preacher man. That's who you called. Yeah, you called that guy in the blue suit. That's kind of funny. That's who you called. Who am I? And so we get this identity crisis going on. And an identity crisis can result from listening to the voice of the critic from within and from without, then believing it. Believing it. And I think that's where Moses was. He believed it. He's like, no, man, that's, who am I? I like to say this, critics are like parasites. They always exist on something that is living. Now you'll get that in a second. If you're a critic, welcome to the parasite world. <laughs> Come on, second service. That was funny, everybody. <laughs> Critics are like parasites. They always exist on something that's alive. And what we, Moses had this identity crisis going on, but God says you're not defined by your past. We all have a past. God says you're not defined by what you've done. We all have done some things that were bad because failure is a part of life. But God doesn't look at all of our failures and God doesn't look at all our inadequacies. God looks at your potential and he starts speaking to your potential even though you haven't started walking in it yet. That's how we start participating with God. That's how we're transformed and our leadership grows and our abilities of what God's called us to do grows. Just like Moses, too often times we say, who am I? Who am I? And sometimes you need to ask God that. I really believe that. I think that sometimes we need to have a face-to-face -face with God and say, God, who am I? 
Like, what in the world am I here for? God, what have you called me to do? What do you want me to be? What do you want my next 12 months to look like? God, what do you want my tomorrow to look like? God, what do you want my today to look like? Who am I, God? Who, who am I? I? I know what I think about myself when I look in the mirror. I know what others think about me, but God, who do you say that I am? I think that's a great place to be, by the way. That's a, that's a perfect place. As a matter of fact, some people call that a crisis, and it is, but it's a crisis that is paramount that will turn the script in your life and cause you to become something that you've never thought you could become because of God. And so if you've never done that before, I encourage you to do it. Just don't do it in Walmart or anywhere like that. People think you're crazy. Go home, shut the door, look in the mirror and say, God, who am I? <laughs> who am I, God? What do you have for me? And that's Moses. We're like Moses, right? Story continues with Moses. Exodus chapter four, verse one, but Moses protested again. He's like, no, God, yeah, I can't do this. Moses protested again. He said, what if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? Because you know, the Lord appeared to Moses in the burning bush. And he's like, what, what if they, what? They're not gonna believe me. And so this excuse came and he, he began to operate in fear versus faith. Fear was his first reaction versus faith. See, faith can move mountains, but fear has a way of creating them. Think about that. Faith can move mountains, but our fear has a way of creating mountains in our life. Sometimes we have to put the old hiking shoes on so that we can cross over the mountain, and it's called faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence we cannot see. We can't see it yet. That's why it takes faith. Faith is the invisible realm. It's, it's what's going to happen that not has yet happened yet. And so fear started operating in Moses' life. He began to visualize the people rejecting him. He began to visualize that he was gonna proclaim what God was telling him to do to Pharaoh and they're gonna say, nah, we don't believe you and walk away. He began to visualize. See, fear visualizes the future. Fear visualizes the future and the pitfalls of the future, but faith visualizes the mountains being removed and God getting the glory. But we have to exercise our faith. Just like anything else, you know, the thing of muscle memory is an amazing thing, especially for, for a pianist. Or I remember when Haley first started playing the piano, they wanted her to play on a weighted keyboard. And uh, thank God I'm not on the worship team. But she got on that weighted keyboard I tried to play and they ran me out of the room and the house too, by the way. And every time I sing, they make fun of me. So I'm just, this is confessions of a pastor. Pray for me, I'm, I'm feeling rejected. But, but she had to play on a weighted keyboard and the reason she had to play on a weighted keyboard for was for muscle memory. And, and God says that you have to exercise your faith. How many of you know how much people in today's time exercises fear? They begin to visualize tomorrow the doom and gloom, the worst case scenarios, and I know it. I do it, I, I, I have to fight against it. Instead of, instead of picturing and visualizing the scenarios where God gets the glory, where God removes the mountain, where God comes in strong and does great things, my mind, my default setting is fear versus faith. And, 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 and Jesus is telling us, you gotta exercise that muscle memory. You had to exercise your faith 
to becomes the norm. How would you like the, the norm to be faith versus fear? You gotta start exercising. You gotta start exercising. Look to your neighbor, bump your neighbor and say, you need to exercise. <laughs> you need to exercise. You need to exercise. Fear will paralyze your potential and fear will doubt your calling. Moses continues. Moses continues in Exodus chapter four, verse 10. He says, but Moses pleaded with the Lord. Oh Lord, I'm not very good. Here it is, Moses again. I'm not very good with words. I never have been and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied, tongue tongue God. My words get tangled. I have never, you ever done that? Inexperience becomes an excuse. Inexperience becomes a way out. I'm gonna show you a different way to think. Remember we talked about fear and faith. I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk to you about inexperience versus opportunity. Imagine if you looked at everything that God called you to do even though you don't have experience in it as a growth opportunity, things would change. I believe that preparation is an act of faith and that the door of opportunity, when it knocks, it's too late. So if I, if I believe that God wants to open up the doors of opportunity, I've got to start programming myself now. I've got to start devouring the word of God and reprogramming my thinking so that when God opens that door, I'm ready to walk through it in my inadequacy, in my inexperience, in my frailty, in my anxiety, in my insecurity, knowing that I am the great I am. His name is Jesus. Open that door for me to walk through it. And if he opened the door, he's going to quit me when I walk through it and he's going to get the glory. It's a posture. It's a posture of faith. It's, it's a mindset that we have to take. I have no experience. Great. This is an opportunity for growth. See, regrets come in life from refusing to take a chance. Regrets. God is patient with us. So what, what's amazing to me about God you know, as people, sometimes when we ask somebody to, man, what, man, come with me on this business venture, or hey, man, let's go do this, or, and if the guy said, the gal says, nah, I'm out, you're usually like, nah, they're out, I'm going somewhere else. But God, God could have took Moses in the beginning when Moses was first saying, hey, who am I, God? God said, yeah, I know who you are. You're right, Moses, I need to go pick somebody else. But God is patient with us. See, God's got a lot of time, you don't. Think about that. God's real patient. He'll wait for a long time. He'll wait till the hair turns its color and the skin starts to get wrinkled and you for sure think you're not going to do anything. And God says, yep, as a ripe old woman and man, get ready to be used. That's for some of you right now. This is for some of you baby boomers out there who you think you're finished. You just getting started. Come on, somebody. Come on, yeah, look, that's for some of you baby boomers out there. But God's patient. He, he said, you know what, Moses? I'm gonna let Moses go through his excuses. I'm gonna let Moses go through his inadequacies. I'm gonna just let him keep going and keep going, but my hand is still on him. God's hand is still on you. That's right, God's hand is still on you. Yep, you're, you're not defined by your mistake. 
you're defined by what you do from this point on. God's hand was still on Moses. Regrets come in life from refusing to take a chance. And Moses, you know what? He, he was a tough guy. Moses was hard-headed. Moses was hard-headed in Exodus chapter four, verse 13, but Moses pleaded again. Lord, please send anyone else. That was like, that was like final straw. He's like, I've got all, that was his ace of spades right there, everybody. You know what I'm talking about? That was, that was it. He, he, he was holding his hand with God, you know what I mean? And, and, and playing his bluff and he slapped that ace of spades down and he said, now send somebody else. Do we do that a lot of times? Send somebody else. Send anyone else. This happens when we're unwilling versus all in. As a matter of fact, if you continue to read the story, the Bible says that God got a little frustrated with Moses and said, you didn't know what I had in my hand. And he said, I got a buddy I'm going to send with you, Moses. Make you feel comfortable. God always has what we need to make it happen. He always does. You know, fighting against God is a lose-lose situation. <laughs> fighting with God is a lose-lose situation. As I said before, uh, some of you are real hard-headed. Raise your hand if you're hard-headed. All right, pretty good. Those of you who didn't raise your hand, you're a liar. <laughs> I was the guy, I was the guy, remember that school, at least you guys out there, we used to play the game Mercy. Oh, we used to slap box as well. You know, you take a lick, then I take a lick. I know it's, that's, that's what's wrong with me too, everybody, you know. <laughs> took too many licks, but uh, when we played Mercy, I could hear my bones about to splinter, and, and then I would finally do that. That's how we are with God a lot of times. You know, we get to our last thing. We, you know, we, we put all the barriers up in front of God, all of the excuses. We just keep putting our cards out. When You know what? He's going to win every, in, anyway because it's a lose-lose situation. Let me save you some heartache and let me save you some energy and let me save you some pain. Just decide today, say, God, I'm all in. Mercy. <laughs> Here it is. Mercy, God. My life is yours. This is it. Go ahead and take me as I am. All the good, bad, and ugly, and let's do this thing, God. Fighting against God is a lose-lose situation. But we do. We fight against God. And the cool thing it is, is God, he's okay with that. He's okay with that. He keeps whittling. He keeps carving. He keeps working. And what keeps working in our life is his love for us. He loves us more than we love ourselves. And we love ourselves a lot. <laughs> I'll close with this scripture, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. Just think about a spiritual temple, and you're a part of that. You're the perfect stone that fits into that spiritual temple he's building. You are holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you can offer spiritual sacrifices that pleases God. This is what's so important by this passage of scripture is if we study it from a contextual standpoint, we realize in the Old Testament there were priests and these priests would offer sacrifices and God was pleased with them. But he said through this new way, this new covenant, you are all priests and now you can offer spiritual sacrifices to God, sacrifices of my life is a living sacrifice. I'm yours. My worship 
and my praise, my obedience. It's all a sacrifice to God. We can offer that now. As the scriptures say, I'm placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem. The cornerstone is Jesus, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust in him recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. His name is Jesus. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word. And so they meet the fate that was planned for them. This is us right here, guys. Verse nine. But you are not like that. For you are a chosen people. You've been chosen. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. We belong to God. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. And showing others the goodness of God is the crux of servant leadership. Would you bow your heads with me just for a moment? God, we want to thank you right now, God that you've chosen us. Every person in the room that has made a decision to be a Christ follower and has surrendered their life to Jesus. God, we wanna be all in on this thing called leadership. Lord, we thank you that you redefined and reinvented for us what leadership is all about. It's about adding value to people and adding the value of God to people. God, we wanna be a part of that. I pray for your church right now, God, that you would activate us. God, that you would speak to us as individuals. Some of you right now, God's speaking to you. Some of the things that we sang about it earlier, that God would resurrect things in our life, that God would resurrect passion, that God would resurrect dreams, that God would resur resurrect things that he put in your heart. Some of you, God's highlighting like an old piece of artwork in your living room or in your office. And it's a piece of artwork that he wanted you to do something with a couple years ago. Could have been five years ago, could have been 10 years ago, could have been last month. And our life is like that. And I'm here to tell you today that God didn't forget about that. I don't know how long it was that Moses had a conversation with God, but God just kept reminding him of that thing he spoke into his life. Some of you have that right now. And God's resurrecting that and God's highlighting that in your life. God, we want to be all in in servant leadership in your local church here at Northwood and in our communities. In Jesus' name. While every head is bowed, every eye is closed, there's some of you here today watching online right now, right here in this room, who would say, I need a real relationship with Jesus. Maybe you grew up in church and maybe you came to church, but there was really no relationship. Maybe there was rituals, but not a relationship. Maybe you've never been in church before and you've been invited and, and you came here today and you're like, man, you know, that guy was funny, but I don't know, there's something going on in my heart right now. There's something going on in my heart and I know it's God and I know that I need a relationship with Jesus. And let me let you in on a little secret, everybody. Only God can reveal that to you. Man can't. Man can't reveal that to you. Man's just a vessel. I'm not the water, I just turn the water on. But God's showing you right now that you need a relationship with Jesus. And what I'm gonna do, we're gonna pray a prayer together, but before we pray that prayer, if you would say, that's me, I know in my heart, today is my day, I need a relationship with Jesus. If you're online right now, and that's you, I want you to just tell God that's me. Just lift your hand and put it right back down. Put it up, put it right back down. Ma'am, I see your hand. 
Yes, ma'am, I see your hands. Just put it up, right back down. Yeah, I see your hands. Thank you. It's just saying, God, I know it. It's me, God. It's not about anybody in this room. It's not about me either. It's about you and your relationship with God. It's just a quick acknowledgement. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray a prayer together as a church to encourage those who are praying this prayer for the first time, to encourage those who are praying online right now. We're gonna pray together as a church. And for those of you who raised your hand, this prayer is for you and God's gonna hear it. So just open your eyes and look at the screen here and say, God, I need you. I'm tired of doing things my way. Come on, church. Help me to start doing things your way. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. I commit to live my life for you. I repent of my sins right now. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Fill the emptiness in me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to trust you. Help me to love you. Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's give it up, everybody, for those who prayed that prayer. Yeah. If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God, and we'd love to help you with your next few steps. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you're in one of those areas, we'd love to see you at one of our live services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and directions. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next time.